Early on Monday, while I was out walking my dog, I saw a giant plume of black smoke on the horizon, a sight that is depressingly familiar if you live in Houston. It means that something has gone wrong at a refinery, and God knows what toxins are being pumped into our air. And do you know what's even scarier? Sometimes those refineries are improperly releasing gases that we don't see or smell. I'm talking today with Jennifer Hadaya, the Executive Director of Air Alliance Houston, and Luke Metzger, Executive Director of Environment Texas. It's Thursday, February 10th, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Jen and Luke, I am so happy to be talking to the two of you today. What was that big black smoke plume that I saw? What was I looking at? Well, you were looking at what we commonly refer to as a flare event coming from a a refinery in Manchester, which is along the ship channel. It was a Valero refinery site. What's a flare event? That sounds like something that would be fun and sparkly and involve unicorns. No, so a flare yes. event is not is not a parade. It's not showing okay. our flare, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, A flare event um, also, unfortunately, is a very common occurrence in our area, given our very large industrial footprint. Flares are, generally speaking, a way of burning off unwanted gas at a facility. Okay, so when I drive by a smokestack and I see like a 20-foot flame and a bunch of smoke, that's a flare event? That's a flare. So the the facility is flaring. Okay, That means they are burning uh, chemicals from that site. The contents of the flare depends on the source that's burning it. So uh, we unfortunately rely on the company that's flaring to tell us what was flared into the air that day. And we do know what was being flared into the air on Monday. They're required to report that within 24 hours. But typically, simply that that flame is a burning of unwanted gas. So, okay, what was in the black crud that was in the sky Monday? So sometimes flares burn as fire. Sometimes flares burn and make smoke. And uh, that really depends on um, basic science. And I am not a scientist, (laughs) but when there is smoke, there is not enough oxygen present to burn off the gas. And so you get a combination of a large fire and fire at the tip of that stack and the smoke that bellows from that stack. Where that smoke goes is uh, very reliant on um, simple things like weather patterns. It depends on the wind. Uh, air pollution, contaminants in the air don't don't really know the boundaries of a city or a region. They go where the wind takes them. Yeah. So why did this flare event happen? The reason it happened on Monday was because of a loss of power. There was a third-party power outage along the ship channel. What is a third-party power outage? I wish I could tell you, actually. I wish I knew. Uh, there's no. There have been no details that have come out about Monday's event about what exactly was the loss of power. There was a loss of power somewhere uh, from a third-party location, possibly on the campus of the facility. Um, and in response to that, they started burning gas to avoid a a potentially larger uh, problem happening. But something went wrong in the beginning to cause a company to have to flare at all, right? Um, So in this case, it was a loss of power. The flare was uh, the next step 
And now we are getting reports from the company to know what was in that. And then we get to to think okay. through what potential risks uh, were, were put out into the community. So what do we know so far? What was in that smoke? Um, there were five uh, chemicals put out into the air on Monday during this flare event. The one of uh, greatest concern or the one that was put out the most of was uh, nitrogen dioxide or NOx. Generally, that's, again, my basic science, <laughs> my lack of basic science showing through right now. So NOx is not something I want to breathe. No, not, not, not you don't want to breathe any of these things. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, to give you a sense of scale yeah. of how much was put into the air on Monday in this one flare event, the amount of chemicals in the air during that time is the equivalent weight of filling almost nine metro buses. So wait, if I could somehow weigh all the crud in the air, it would weigh as much as nine buses? Yes, exactly. And it's nasty stuff that I don't want to be breathing. Right, right. Oh, joy. What else? <laughs> <laughs> Luke, I feel, I feel like I absolutely... So tell, jump in and, and cor- correct my basic science, please. <laughs> I am also not a scientist, but uh, in, in your retelling of the science uh, tracks with what my understanding is as well. Uh, but yeah, there are uh, a lot of different pollutants that were involved in this release. Also, sulfur dioxide um, and uh, what else we got? Uh, propylene, particulate matter or kind of fine particles or soot that uh, can bypass your lungs okay. defenses and, and cause some serious problems. But, you know, these are chemicals that are associated with uh, a whole set of health problems, including uh, asthma attacks and uh, reduced lung capacity in children um, and and other problems. We also know that in general, living near refineries, according to a number of scientific studies, including one recently done by UT Medical Branch in Galveston, that there's a higher rate of can- a risk of cancer if you live next to one of these refineries uh, compared to if you don't. Um, and flaring events, including of, of carcinogens, is a, a big factor in that. So flaring isn't unusual here in Houston, right? So the risk people face is from lots of flares, not just one flare. Uh, the bigger problem is that we have these kinds of events over and over again, right? Uh, whether mm-hmm. you see the big mm-hmm. flare or not, you know, there's uh, often some of this pollution right. is released uh, invisibly. And um, in, in total, in 2020, uh, we there were about 5 million pounds of uh, illegal pollution released in the Houston area alone. And we should point out that in general, a lot of these flaring events are not authorized uh, by you know, these facilities permits. Right. So these are unauthorized, you know, potentially illegal releases of pollution. You know, th- these are not supposed to happen. Um, this is something went wrong, as Jen said, and um, and they're just having to you know act you know quickly to uh, prevent a bigger problem. <clears throat> but our our experience is that. These are largely avoidable, you know, the the companies that if they spent the money uh, in backup power systems, for example, or, you know, better pollution controls, better training, they can largely avoid this, uh, this happening. Do they get in trouble when they have one of these? (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing. Very rarely. This does not bode well. We've been tracking this kind of illegal air pollution going on five or six years now. Um, And in general, we find that only about 3% of these uh, emissions events face any kind of penalty. 
And if they do face a penalty, it's generally very small, you know, a few pennies per pound of pollution. So far from, you know, a penalty that would lead to a deterrent effect or lead the companies to take it seriously enough to actually invest in um, prevention. So if I am a refinery, it is cheaper for me to do one of those illegal flare events and pay the fine than to do the right thing and prevent the problem in the first place. Yeah, generally that's the case. And, you know, the companies will argue that, well, no, they're, they're, we're burning up product here, right? Like that we could sell. We don't want to be doing this, right? But but the fact is that, <laughs> um, and we found that they'd rather just burn the product than have to make a big facility upgrade to prevent the pollution from being released. Yeah, And if I could add to that too, not only is there no... Uh, direct economic disincentive in the form of a fine. There also isn't tends not to be an impact on the facility's ongoing ability to operate through the permitting process. So if if a facility is the source of a major disaster or fire, which we have had several of, and I can share some pretty shocking statistics about how often those things happen in the Houston area, generally speaking, there is no consideration of that history. Every permit is submitted and considered as if there has never been a situation that happened before. So when one of those flares happens, is there any way for Houstonians to know about it right away? Say, if I'm the parent of a kid with asthma, or if I just don't want to breathe the stuff that's in the air? Lisa, you've brought up something that gives me that gives me heartburn at, uh-huh. at Airlines Houston. It, it hurts our hearts because the answer is really no. The answer is there is a lack of real-time information about an event like this. Um, Oftentimes, so what happened on Monday, um, the plant put out a phone number that you could call for more information. Okay, so where did they put that number? Nobody gave me that number. They put it on a website, an emergency announcement website. So if you knew to go there, you would find this phone number. If you called the phone number, which I did, I I was asked to leave a voicemail and I was told that somebody would call me back. I got a phone call 12 hours later. So if I am somebody who woke up that morning and woke up to black smoke, which is exactly what happened. One thing we immediately assume is you see black smoke billowing. Well, it's there's been an explosion. There's been a major disaster. It's natural to assume that because of how often it happens. So one thing that we have said from the beginning for a very long time is we need some kind of toxic alert system. We generally refer to it as an amber alert for for toxic events. So if there is black smoke billowing over the sky and flames shooting up into the sky, if you are within a certain um, radius of that event, you are told what's going on and you are given information about uh, how to protect your health and the health of your family. And there's the invisible stuff that I won't even know about. Yeah. And and we don't we don't even have that kind of alert system right now. So what can people do to fix this? Well, I feel like the other thing that we need to make sure is that the legislature uh, hears about these um, from their constituents, um, that this is a real concern. And I think it's critical that legislators who particularly who represent some of these industrial areas, they hear from those companies and the, the, the refineries mm-hmm. and the chemical plants all the time. They're not hearing as much from the constituents. And so people need to speak out and say, hey, this is unacceptable. You know, where this is the 21st century. We shouldn't be waking up to, you know, huge <laughs> plumes of smoke and flares right. in the sky. Right. Right. Um, to add to that, um, sometimes uh, official air monitoring from um State and local regulatory agencies are not as quick to process information and know what's there. And they monitor at a very 
high level, no pun intended, <laughs> at a very regional level, right? Uh-huh. Um, that doesn't always help somebody when they walk out of their house that day to know what they should or shouldn't do, especially if someone in their family or themselves is in a sensitive group. Um, so Airlines Houston and many other community partners have started to take air monitoring into our own hands. And there are ways to monitor the air at a local level through uh, smaller air monitors and Airlines Houston and other groups in the Houston area are, support what we call community air monitoring networks. And there are ways to, to do that, to be involved either with one of these networks and Airlines Houston will help somebody get connected to a network or to uh, purchase and install a monitor for themselves. These monitors will give you information in a, in a 10 minute increment. Every wow. 10 minutes, you'll get information about what's happening around your home and in your community. How much does one of those monitors cost if I wanted to buy one? Um, some of them can be very low cost, a few hundred dollars. Others in that are used for local level air monitoring are a little bit outside uh, the capacity of most um, residents, and they're in the multiples of thousands. But okay. there are efforts by organizations like ours. There are efforts even happening at the federal level through mm-hmm. the EPA to support the build out of more local level community air monitoring programs exactly for this reason, to give people the power of the information, to know more about what's happening in their community, and to do exactly what Luke said, which is to elevate and amplify this information to those who are in positions of power to make change. So this is why I want an air monitor in my yard? Yes, yes. It connects to your smartphone. You could know right now what is happening outside. Exactly. You can watch it every 10 minutes, which I have done. Trust me, I have gone down Uh, that rabbit hole where I just refresh and refresh and refresh to see what happens. So be be mindful of that. Oh, well, thank you both. I I don't think I'm exactly reassured, but at least have a better idea of what's going on and what we can do. All right, next up, we've got a little bit of news. Producer Farrell Gibbs has got a story. Farrell, what do you know? Okay, Lisa, a couple of days ago, you did a Houston Gripes version of your newsletter. Mm-hmm. Yep. Lots of traffic-related gripes in that. Always. Like that one, the 610 sign that warns of slow traffic and the reader said, if that sort of sign has to go up, you've messed up bad at road design. Yep. The perma-slow sign. Uh-huh. All right. Well, not not to pile on, but Houston <laughs> made the top 10 in the nation's worst truck bottlenecks, according to the Houston Chronicle. What is a truck bottleneck? I think these are called truck bottlenecks because there's an organization called the American Transportation Research Institute that's monitoring these trucks and their freight. They're pulling data from these trucks and that's where the Oh that's where these Okay. So they're not measuring me in my car. No, that's correct. I'm sitting there with the truck in the right. traffic. You're just a cussing right along with the truck driver. <laughs> that's correct. Okay. So 14 of these are in Texas, but apparently none are worse than in Houston. Here are the three worst bottlenecks. Ranked 3rd, 13th, and 15th. They're on I-45 or I-10 at I-45. And as the article says, within the area of the mega project that the Texas Department of Transportation is proposing to rebuild I-45, including I-45 at Interstate 69 south of the business district. Yep. I've been there. I've cussed along with those truckers. (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Is there a takeaway from this? Are we supposed to be... Just miserable about our traffic. It's a very non-promising takeaway. The officials hope that this top 10 list, actually, will get people talking about it 
in positions of power about using increased federal money to untangle those bottlenecks, either with highway improvements or somehow increasing the efficiency of transporting goods. All right. That's not going to make me feel one bit better in traffic, Farrell. <laughs> that is it for today's CityCast Houston. We are working on a Valentine's Day show. We're doing very Houston love stories. So if you met your beloved while sitting in traffic on I-45 behind a truck, call and tell us that story. Our voicemail is 713-489-6972. Tell us your name and the story. We'll have that number in our show notes. We will be back tomorrow. Houston. <laughs> I will say that, Farrell. <laughs>